Thank you for tuning in to our Restoration Life podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the message and share it out with your friends on social media. Can't wait for you to listen in next week. You know, I, I love Veterans Day, and as I, as I was planning for this message, I was trying to tie in what would fit along with what we've been talking about over the past several weeks. As you know, we've been discussing symptoms of spiritual stroke. We've covered a lot of different things in this. We talked about confusion, and we talked about comparison, right? And we had Pastor Mondo come. He shared about honor. Then Pastor Jamie, he talked about stewardship, and then we went into procrastination. And last week, Pastor Eddie got into ungratefulness. And the goal with discussing all these symptoms is that we want to do prehab before rehab, right? We want to get ahead of this thing. Because these things can pop up on our spiritual journey if we're not mindful of them. And just like our bodies, you know, sometimes we can ignore the symptoms and then we find ourselves in a very bad situation. Like you're out and you know you got the bubblies and you find yourself far away from a toilet. You're in a bad situation. And the same thing can happen spiritually. You're out and about thinking you got everything under control in your life and those symptoms come and then you find yourself in a very bad spiritual situation. So we're all about prehab before rehab. Amen. The goal is to prevent not just spiritual stroke but from us spiritually dying. And as I was thinking about Veterans Day and and putting everything together, it's it's a a lot of things uh, me and Pastor Eddie been talking about having to do with World War II and the, the thought of commitment came to my mind. Commitment. Because we, sometimes we struggle with commitment. And I think a big reason is, is because we don't understand how to be committed. We don't understand what traits are necessary to be committed. We can say yes to something, but yet our commitment level isn't really there, even if we show up. Like, well, I'm here. And so today I want to talk about that. I want to get into that because I want us to overcome commitment. See, what we have to understand, church, is that we're always at war. You know that. We are always in a spiritual war. The moment we decide to become Christians and give our life to God, we are in a spiritual war. It has begun. And if we're not committed, we can spiritually die. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 12 says this. It says, fight the good fight of faith in conflict with evil. Take hold of the eternal life which you were called, and for which you made the good confession of faith in the presence of, my wit- of many witnesses. And what we have to realize, church, is that we're all in this war together. We're all in this war together because what happens is we don't want to participate in the spiritual war. I remember being a kid and my grandmother would tell me things about, you know, you got to guard yourself. We're at spiritual war. The demons are after us. The, the devil, he's after us. And kid you got a very colorful imagination. So when they're talking about demons and devils coming after you, I'm seeing them outside the house. I'm, like, trying to shut the windows and lock the doors. I'm like, look, I don't want no part of this spiritual war. I ain't do nothing to the devil. Why he messing with me? I don't want no part of this. But in actuality, as we we grow and mature as Christians, what we'll tend to do is we'll, we'll allow the prayer to be up to the leaders of the church. We'll allow the spiritual warfare, let the the pastors and the elders and the life group leaders, let them do that. Let them be a part of that spiritual war. I don't want any part of it. But the reality is we're all in it. We're all in it together. And it goes back to what Pastor Eddie was talking about during World War II. 
You see, what was really significant about that, what really allowed us to win that war, was the all-in attitude that everyone had. December 7th, 1941, Pearl Harbor was attacked, pulling the United States into World War II. World War II had kicked off in 1939, two years prior. And the Axis were taking over the planet, literally. Literally. And America at this time, we weren't the military superpower we were th then. It took this all-in mentality to build up our military and get us where we needed to be. During that time, roughly 13 million people served in the military. 13 million. That's estimated at between 9 and 11% of the country. To put that into perspective, during the war on terror from 2001 to 2014, about 2 million served, which is less than 1% of the nation. And also during this time, factories changed what they were doing. You can't even find a car from 1942. 42 through 45, you cannot find vehicles. Certain metals you won't find. Certain uh, currency you won't find from those years. Because everything was committed to the war effort. As Pastor Eddie said, for the first time in our country's history, all the women of the homes were in the factories. It was women building those planes. It was women building those tanks, making those jeeps, those guns. They were out there... You know, with the bandana on, you seen the buff lady on the poster. They was getting it in. No matter the situation, minorities serving in the military from the Tuskegee Airmen, different regiments of all the minorities who did not have any presence before, but everybody got involved regardless of the situation. And as a result, we were victorious. And it set the course for the America that we exist in today. That same attitude is needed in the church. An all-in mentality. Everybody in. All the way in. So today, this morning, what I would like to talk about is what two traits are necessary for us to become all-in. Turn in your Bibles, your apps, your books, whichever one you got, to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to be staying there for most of this message. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 1. This is Paul writing a letter to Timothy while he's in prison. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel for which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with the eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Can you say amen? If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. 
You know, in 2003 is when I enlisted into the Army. I was 17 years old at the time. So when I enlisted, I had to go into what was called the Delayed Entry Program. Not because I was, like, in trouble or anything. It was just a program that they had. The thing was, my family wanted me to graduate at high school. I wanted to stay. I was ready to go. I was like, I'll do the GED. I'm out the door. They were like, no, you're going to stay. You're going to finish high school. Then you can go. Okay, agreed. So between the time I enlisted to the time I left, I had about eight months in this delayed entry program. Now, in the program, every month, sometimes once or twice a month, we would go out and do these drills on the weekend. And during these drills, we got to learn all the different things we're going to be doing in the Army. Like, I learned how to land navigate and read a map and use a compass. I learned how to, uh, how to march, and I learned our rank structure and all these different things. And it just kept building up and building up and building, building up, you know, how to make our rations and our MREs. Never eat an MRE, first of all. I just want to put that out there because people be asking, like, hey, can you give me one of those military ration things? No, those things are horrible. We, we don't eat them if we don't have to. Trust me, don't do that to yourself. But as the months went on and every time I went to a drill and I saw myself getting better and better, I started to really feel like a soldier already. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm like, I can't wait to go to training. I'm feeling this. And I, like, I really felt a part of it. But the reality was I wasn't really a soldier yet because at the end of the drill, I got to go home. Once the drill was over, everybody high five, we go home. I went home and did my thing. You know, I went to bed when I felt like it. I got up for school, or if it was the weekend, I got up when I wanted to. I did have hair at the time, so I wore my hair how I felt. <laughs> Picking out clothes, I got to wear what I wanted. I got to make my bed how I wanted. I got to hang out with who I wanted. I ate when I wanted. I did everything how I wanted. Because the reality was, I wasn't a soldier, really. I was only going to some drills part-time, so I was still doing my thing. Come summer of 2004, I would arrive at Fort Knox, Kentucky in the summertime. Look, if you have never been to the South with the F in the summer, you have not felt heat. It's armpit hot. And immediately, and I don't know what they do between the, because I landed, I remember, we landed in Louisville, it was daytime. And somehow we get to Fort Knox, it's like the middle of the night. Here's why this is interesting, because later on I find out Louisville is only like an hour away from Fort Knox. So how in the heck it takes us five hours to get there? <laughs> and so I arrived there and immediately I knew my life was about to be different. Because as soon as I get there, get off the bus, take off those clothes, put these clothes on, go over there, go make this phone call. And they literally gave me a sheet to read. This is the phone call you get to make, and you only get to say what's on that paper. That's it. It was about a 20-second phone call. Immediately, hair, gone. Look, I know it's gone now. Stop judging me. Like, whatever. But at the time, I had hair. And they took it away. I was no longer able to wake up when I felt like waking up. Every single morning, 5 a.m. was the latest you slept in. 5 a.m. And I was woken up to the sound of a bullhorn. Good morning, private! And another drill sergeant banging a tin trash can around, waking us up, waking us up. We were out in the field training. They would use these things called artillery simulators. These are loud explosives to wake you up. And then they scream, gas, gas, gas. And you got to put on your gas mask. And you're first running around in the dark. 
This is how we will wake up. I can no longer just make my bed how I felt, like fold the blanket and call it a day. No, hospital corners. I don't even know why that's a thing. But they will come, measure. It better be 45 degrees. They better be able to bounce a quarter off. Your boots better be where they should be, on the line. You better have the right pair of boots on. Because you have one pair of boots that had a knot in it, one that didn't. And determining which day it was, you better have the right ones on. It took us 10 minutes from wake up, shave, brush your teeth, get down to formation, ready for PT. And that's 150 soldiers. Talk about efficiency. Talk about efficiency. And this will become my life for the next four months. What changed? Commitment. See, at one point, I wasn't all the way in. I was just kind of in. Everything changed when I got all in. See, because I was submitted to the authority of the army. And the thing is, whether or not I would be punished or how hard my life would be, would be determined by two things. My attitude and my effort. That's what we're going to talk about. Our attitude and our effort. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Now, I know a lot of people think, oh, the military just brainwashes you. That's why I don't go. Whatever. The thing is, what people don't understand, for the hardships that we're going to experience, we have to change. We can no longer think with the same mind that we once did prior to going. Because that will get us killed. We can no longer have the same interest and the same focus of civilians. We have to become something different. In the same way in the kingdom, in order to serve God at our absolute best, we have to become something different. We can no longer think in the same manner as we once did before, prior to Christ coming into our lives. We cannot have the same approach to situations as we once did. Otherwise, what difference does it make? Can people even tell you apart? See, we have to be, when we were soldiers, we had to be different from civilians. It had to be significant. They had to see it. It couldn't just be a part-time thing. And this is no shade to reservists or National Guard. Just want to throw that out. But there is a difference. You know it. You know it because, like, when sometimes you work with, like, National Guard or reservists, and you're trying to do something very simple, and you're like, I don't know how to do it. You're like, why not? Oh, I'm just a reservist. Like, I appreciate you being here. Let me help you. But there's a difference because they only, they're only soldiers one week in a month, two weeks in a year, two weeks a year. The question is, are you a part-time Christian? One Sunday a week. See, because the thing is, when you're a part-time Christian, you're only you're a Christian based on convenience. As long as the situation is calm and cool and everything runs the way that it should, you're a good Christian. The moment chaos enters into your life, you go back to the flesh. And you behave the same way. See, the thing is, when battles come to the soldier, to the Marine, we respond according to how we were trained. We don't respond how the civilian would respond. The thing is, when the battles that, and the things that the enemy comes and attacks you with, how do you respond? Do you respond to the old way or do you respond with the new mind of Christ in you? See, we lose sight of this day to day. And this is something that you can do, reminding yourself who you are in Christ. Put us, I hope everybody in here brush their teeth in the morning. Yeah, okay, cool. 
So put a sticky note on your, on your mirror if you have to. I am a child of God. I am a new creation. The old ways are gone and dead. I am not that same person. I will not do the same things as I did yesterday. Remind yourself daily of that. Pastor Eddie discussed this last week, is that the problem with the church is too many Christians are still living in the old self. I'm still a sinner. I'm still a sinner. No, you're not. You have been delivered. You have been set free. Your sin is forgotten. You are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. After my 16 weeks of training was complete, because I enlisted as a Calvary Scout, we trained for four months straight in Kentucky. So summer to winter, and that was the first time I ever saw snow. Didn't like it. But when I came home, my family was like, wow, who is this different person? Because just the, my manner is I would walk different. Instead of, you know, just kind of teenager walk. I had, a, I had a demeanor about me, like I had to get somewhere. Everything, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. I would be at the mall and stand at parade rest for no reason. Just be... I don't even know why I did it. The way I would eat, I would just like knife and fork, hitting plate. I wouldn't even talk, just clink, 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 clink. Everything was so fast and efficient and aggressive. It even carried on into my marriage with Teresa always getting mad at me because I was like, hey, we need to clean up this house. This need to get here. This need to get here. And she's like, whoa, I am not your soldier. Y'all think Teresa and I, she get real ghetto at home. But my whole, everything about me from the inside out changed. I became something different because I went through a transformation. And the thing is, we need to go through a transformation from just believers to followers. The Bible says even the, the demons believe that Jesus exists. So what good is it that we just say we believe in Jesus? What good is it if we don't act different, if we aren't portraying something different? What good is saying that you believe? We must be followers of Christ. And to be a follower of Christ, it requires a transformation. That transformation is a process. That process is the hardship that you're going to have to endure. But God says his grace will see you through it. See, I would not have been able to make it through that training without my brothers by my side. And we're all going through it together. Because I guarantee you, I'm just one person going through that, I'm leaving. I don't know how to get out of Kentucky. I would have figured it out. <laughs> but when we're together going through the hardship, we can overcome so much more. You have to go through this transition. You have to go through this process, becoming something new. See, because if, if we stay the same, the world can never tell us apart from a non-believer and a believer. So that's not enough. We have to be a follower of Christ. We should be different. And where it begins, where it all begins is our attitude. Your ability to endure is rooted in your attitude. How you look at something. See, because the things that we went through in the army, especially in training, I don't know why we like, after a few months you get excited about it. Like, yeah, wake me up. I'm going to be up before you are, Joe Sergeant. And we would. Like, before they even hit the bullhorn, we're already awake. Like, let's go. Let's get, the, like, we get more amped up. The harder they would make it, we get more amped up. Let's go. You got nothing. Like, we're going on 12-hour road march. Give me 15. 
Because we just, we get used to enduring the hardship together and pushing through. So our attitude shifted and it allowed us to endure even more. Your attitude will determine your endurance. See, but what happens then is, is after a while of being in, you know, after I got through training, I got through my first deployment, I started to get a little bit confident in myself. I started to walk with a little bit more swag. My attitude started changing. Then I started to, like, question stuff. Why are we getting up so early? Because if you don't know about the military, we have this thing called hurry up and wait, where we're not, we don't have to be in the word till 9. They're like, wake up at 4. I'm like, why? I can say it now. I'm out. I can say whatever I want. <laughs> but the problem is while I was in, especially when I was leading other soldiers, is that my attitude towards what was going on was contagious to them. So if I said something was too hard or too exhausting, it would infect them. If like, this is stupid. Why do we have to do this? New private. Yeah, it is stupid. They don't know any better. But my, my, my squad leader who's telling me this is stupid, so it must be stupid. I like him. And right now, big bag commander over there is making life hard. But if I got an enthusiastic energy towards it, I'm not talking about a fake glee, but like, guys, we got to do this. We're all in on this. All right, we're one team, one fight. Let's get it done. It changes everything. It changes everything. And this is what happens inside of church. Oh, you guys thought I wasn't going to leave this at the army, would you? See, what happens is when we're brand new Christians, we're on fire. Pastor, I'll do anything. Leader, I'll do anything. I'm just so excited about it. But then we get a little bit confident. Been in church for a while. Why do you do it like that? That's stupid. I should do it this way. I should be in charge. I should be a leader. You see what they're wearing? You see what they look at? You see what, what worship songs they did? I should be the worship director, not them. An attitude starts to creep in because we get a little bit too confident in ourselves. And then we stop listening to the authority that's been placed over our lives. We start thinking we know better. And then that attitude becomes contagious to those around you. And now you're having a spiritual stroke within the church because of an attitude issue. And that attitude issue is not just within the church. It happens at work, at school, in your house, and everywhere you're around. See, the thing is, the attitude that you project out into the world is your testimony of who Christ is. So the thing is, are you communicating from the attitude of the flesh or are you communicating from the attitude of the spirit? Because, like, this whole thing with Popeyes right now, right? People get into fights over a chicken sandwich. Like full on fight, somebody got stabbed, so I think somebody got shot over a chicken sandwich. And just so you know, it's all right. It's all right. Like I still prefer Chick-fil-A better. Now the piece of chicken, the, the, the piece of chicken was bigger and that was satisfying. But flavor-wise, it was just like, all right, I ain't fighting nobody for it though. But I guarantee you. At some point, somebody pulled into a driveway, getting into an argument with a nice Jesus fish sticker on the back. Because they let their emotions get the better of them in that situation. How many times somebody approached you sideways at work and that flesh comes right back out. That same old school attitude comes right back out. Somebody says something or does something you don't like. That same attitude comes right back out. And that's what we're projecting into people. So when people see that attitude, like, that's what a Christian's like. And what's crazy about it is you never know when you're around a person who's this close to coming to church, who's this close to saying, God, I, I, I want you. And then they see a Christian like, oh, never mind. Never mind. Look at that. Why would I get myself involved with that? Because that's where the spiritual warfare happens. You see, the enemy moves in deception. They say, see, see him? See that Christian? See that Christian? Those are the Christians. And the reason is because the 
real followers of Christ aren't presenting the proper attitude that they need to be. They're not giving the effort that they should be giving. So that way when people see Christians, they see these bad attitudes. They see everything that just looks like the rest of the world. In order for us to have the impact that we're going to have, we have to have a Christ-like attitude. Because it cracks me up hearing people like, you know, if I was leading this, if I was in charge this, you know, or if I had this leader, if I had that leader, I would do it this way. You know, I wish I was with Jesus following him around. Believe me, if you can't handle a leader in this house, you can never handle Jesus. Picture it this way. Peter was drowning. Jesus said, oh, ye little faith. He's drowning. Like, we'll be like, are you okay? Everything all right? You know, look at you and your faith. That's Jesus. Come follow me. Jesus, let me go bury my dad, please. Let the dead bury their dead. That's Jesus. Let me go bury my dad. Imagine you came to me, or I came to you like, hey, let's go do this. Like, hey, I got to go bury my dad. Come with me, let the dead bury their dead. You would never talk to me again. But you think you can follow Jesus. See, the thing is, you can't follow Jesus, you can't follow the leaders he's appointed over you. If you can't trust the authority that's been given to you. Because believe me, it gets a lot harder. Jesus always says, you don't know what you're asking for. It begins with an attitude. And that attitude also involves complaining. Yeah, complaining. Like, I didn't say anything bad. Complaining you should not be doing. And this is something I myself had to get in check. Because I would do what you say, but you're going to hear my mouth about it. I was a big complainer. But the Bible even says that we shouldn't complain. You don't believe me? Philippians 2, 14 and 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Oh, a hush fell over the crowd. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. The rest of the world complains all the time. The rest of the world disputes all the time. Not so with us. Not so with us. And when it's talking about the disputing, it means like if a leader is telling you the right thing to do, guiding you properly, then obey. Now, if a leader is doing something in contrary to the Bible, then you have a responsibility to call it out. But there's a proper way to do that as well. Going behind somebody and just talking about it to people who can't solve the situation is an attitude problem. If you really want to fix it, you take it on head on. Can I talk to you? And we even had this in the military. If we had an issue, we could talk to our NCOs offline. But if you try to put them on blast in front of everybody, they're going to make you pay. But you can always just go offline, hey, can I have this conversation? It doesn't mean that you're going to be right in the conversation, but at least you get to have it. And the thing is, if we really want to be helpful to the kingdom, we really want to be helpful to the church, we'll do it the right way. But when your attitude is in the wrong place, you'll go about it a very sideways, shady, underhanded kind of way. And the same thing happens in your workplace. It's not just within the church. The thing is, you got to remember, you're an ambassador of Christ. You carry him everywhere you go. So if you have underhanded, shady stuff you do at work, people see that. That is your expression to people of what a Christian is. If you cheat, if you cut corners, if you're lazy, they see that. 
That is what represents what a Christian is. That's not how we're supposed to be. It says in verse 15 that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in this world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. As I said, I had to get this checked, complaining, having a bad attitude, all this kind of stuff, because it's toxic. The Bible says he doesn't even want you to do anything and that's the attitude that you're going to have. He outlines that in our giving. Look, if you're going to give with a grudging heart, keep it. Because it's in vain. So you can show up here and serve here and do all that kind of stuff, but if your heart and your attitude aren't in the right place, it's in vain. Your attitude is extremely important. Because it will determine your true commitment level. Your attitude will determine what you can endure. You've all heard the quote, your attitude determines your altitude. So you want to go further with God, you want to go higher with God, it requires fixing your attitude. Having an all-in attitude. That whatever we need to get done, I'm on board. I'm not here to complain. I'm not here to bring the team down. But I'm all in. I'm all the way committed. No, you're not always going to be super gleeful about it. That's not what it's saying. It's saying I have a committed attitude. Let's get this done. We're on team together. I got you. Nobody expects you to be on the 405 freeway. Thank you, L.A., for the 405 traffic. I appreciate it. We just expect you to not cuss nobody out. That's not hard. That's not hard. It's, it's a lot simpler than we expect it to be. But it's an attitude of saying I'm all in. Whatever's needed to be done in the kingdom, I'm all in. That's the attitude. And what's connected to that is our effort. Our effort. See, because if you've got a bad attitude about something, you put forth mediocre effort. You're just kind of like, meh. Meh. You ever seen like, people at a restaurant who got a bad attitude? They like drop your drinks on the table, throw the silverware at you, your stupid straws. But then you got that one who has a good attitude. They put forth tremendous effort, making sure everybody's taken care of. And it's just it's something different when your attitude is in the right place. You put forth a better effort. Sometimes we try to hold on to our effort. We try to hold on and keep as much energy reserved to ourselves. So I'm a big dude. I know that. I've always been a big dude. I have weighed less than 200 pounds since I was about 15. Don't judge me. I got big bones. Even in the army, I was a big dude, so I weighed about 230 pounds. And we got to run a lot in the military, and I hate running far. I just think it's dumb. I think anything over a quarter mile, you should just drive because it's a freeway exit. So if it's that distance, I should automatically drive. But anyway, we had these two-mile runs we had to do for our PT test. Now, I could always pass my PT test, but I would pass by, like, maybe 10, 15, 20 seconds. Because, like, I would try to pace myself because I was so worried about, like, not being able to finish. So I would, like, just cruise, like, all right, we got to stay calm, stay relaxed. Because I, my mind was just racing. My legs hurt. My back hurts. This is stupid. Why are we running so far? I should just do a sprint. Because I'm fast in the sprint. Because that's all I had to do in L.A., run away from a dog, run away from the cops. Quick. <laughs> cops ain't chasing you in a quarter mile. So... You know, running long distance was hard, so I would pace myself. And I remember doing our last PT test, and the track we ran around was a third of a mile, so it was bigger than the normal quarter. 
and I'm coming around to my last lap. I'm checking my watch. I got good time. I'm going to make it. So I'm coming around, and then I have one more lap, and I see my drill sergeant just glaring at me. And me and him, we had a good bond, and he's just looking at me. And then as I come up to him, he jumps on the track and takes off and screams, keep up. And I dare not try to keep up. I dare I can't. I dare not. So I take off. And I'm like, and he's like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, long old giraffe legs reaching out there. And I'm like, look at these little stubby things. I'm like, <laughs> I got a long torso, not legs, just thunder thighs. Just. But I'm digging. I'm giving everything I can to keep up with him and keep striving. So I, I'm right there with him. He's like, keep going, keep going. And we literally sprint a third of a mile. And I like fall out when we get past. I'm like coughing and yakking. And I'm like, oh, my God, like I'm dizzy. And as I'm on all fours, I just see these boots come up to me. He was in uniform, by the way, not PTs. He ran that full sprint in full uniform. And I just see these boots come up. And he just says, don't ever hold anything in the tank. Don't ever hold anything in the tank. He said, I'd rather you give your best effort and fail than to give me a mediocre performance and pass. And that's exactly what God is looking for in us. He's not looking for a perfection. He's looking for your effort. Where's your heart at? Where's your attitude? Give me what you got. I'll build you up, but give me what you got right now, and I'm going to double down on it. That's the embracement of the Holy Spirit. Go back to that verse in 2 Timothy 2. It says, it is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Notice that it doesn't say the best farmer. It doesn't say the smartest farmer, the most equipped farmer, the richest one. None of that. It says the hardest-working farmer. The effort is what I'm looking at. Because the effort is a condition of the heart. Give me your heart. I train people in football. I train people in the military. And you know when people are truly putting out and giving effort. You know within yourself if you're giving your best effort to your faith. Because will it really hurt you that bad to wake up 15 minutes early to get along with God? Will it really hurt you that bad to go up to that person who needs a hug and hug them? Is it really that hard? Are you really maximizing your effort right now? Can you honestly say that within yourself, I'm giving my absolute best to God? Because I don't think anybody's in this room's ever been locked up for praising God. I don't think anybody here has been cut for praising God. I don't think anybody here has, has been in such a bad situation because you gave God your best. And it's not that he wants to force you into bad situations. But the reality is we're giving God our comfort. We're giving God our convenience, our leftovers. But if we want to go higher with God, we want more of God, we're going to have to give God our best. How can we hold back when he gave us his best? He nailed his best to a cross after being tortured and died his best when we didn't deserve it. So how can I deny God trying to give him my best? Again, it's not perfection. It's progression. As you level up, you will be able to give more and more and more. But if you're always looking at it in the sense of, well, you know, if I just had some more time, if I just knew a little bit more word, open the word and then learn a little bit more word. Then go be productive. Effort, effort, put effort into growing your relationship with God. Put effort into learning your word. Put effort into your prayer life. Put effort into the relationships around you. 
Think about if you put just a little bit more effort into your family. Ministering God to them. Put a little bit more effort into your coworkers. Put a little bit more effort into your colleagues and other students, to your friends. Put a little bit more effort. See, the thing is, in the military, when we started to learn how to truly give our best, the day came we were actually on the battlefield. And believe me when I say, I wish I could have ran faster. Because bullets are quick, real quick. And I was just wondering, like, why am I so slow? I should have ran faster. But it, it, everything was effort. See, when our brothers and sisters were in trouble, it wasn't no slow demeanor getting our trucks ready and rushing to their aid. It was maximum effort. We were able to get a fully truck loaded up, started, and gone in five minutes. But it began with us in basic training, being able to get up, shave, get downstairs, and do PT in 10 minutes. That we could start to move with the pristine effort because we understood what it meant. We have to understand what this means. I'm going to get ready to close up. I got the altar. I mean, the worship team comes. You know what's a terrible feeling? It's failing at something knowing you didn't give it your best. Failing at something knowing you didn't give it your best. Who's the Scantron testing people back in the day? Scantrons. You ever do the thing where you're like, A, B, C, D, C, B, A. And, and you like, you skip all these things. And you're like, I, I took the first three quarters of the test right. I should have passed. And then you get a fail. And you're like, dang. Dang, I should have really tried. <laughs> but the thing is, like, if you, you knew the answers, you just got lazy. How many people work out before? Like you started a workout plan, yeah, and you saw some results, and then you got lazy, and then you're like hanging next to something. All right, 2020, my year. But if you just would have put forth a little bit more effort and kept it up, you would have seen the transformation that you were looking for. See, the thing is, everybody in this room wants to change their lives for the better. I believe everybody in here, at some point, you have a desire to impact other lives. But it requires us putting forth a little bit more effort. It requires first our attitude getting right so we can put forth a little bit more effort. And I know sometimes we wonder, what is all this for? Why do we have to go through? Why do we have to endure these hardships? It's because souls are at stake. It's very simple. Souls are at stake. Back to that scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 2, now in verse 8. It says this, it says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering. Paul was suffering because he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was bound with chains as a criminal. But he says, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Who are the elect? The elect is your husband, your wife, your kids, your mom, your dad, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles. It's your co-worker. It's your classmate. It's your colleague. It's the person you pass on the street. It's the homeless person. It's the person in the hospital. It's the widow. It's the orphan. Every single person that God loves is the elect. We endure for them because somebody endured for us. We're not here on accident. We don't get to enjoy this church and this freedom on accident. The freedoms we enjoy are because men and women decided to serve and endured the hardships of war so we can have this. 
We are here by the grace of God because Jesus endured the cross. Restoration Life exists as a church affecting the South Bay because men and women have come over the generations and endured, have been the prayer warriors, have sowed seeds, have worked and grown as leaders and endured so we can continue on the work of God. Souls are at stake. That is why we endure. That is why we endure. Because if we're true followers of God, the number one commandment is to do what? Love God. Oh, we love people, right? The, the most important commandment is what? Love God. Love people. Now, if we truly have that kind of love for people, the godly love for people, then we're willing to lay down our lives on their behalf to see that they're saved. This quote says this. It says, the true soldier fights not because he hates what's in front of him, but because he loves what's behind him. The Bible says this, John 15, 13. Greater love has no man than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Are we willing to adjust our attitudes and give our best effort for those that we love? To see them come to know Christ, to see them experience God in the way that we've been experiencing him? Are we willing to go there? We have the capacity. It's in you because God's not going to make you do it by itself. He sends his Holy Spirit as an advocate and a helper to supply you and guide you. He says his grace is sufficient so you can endure. But it just begins with a choice. Why don't we all stand to our feet right now? Everybody in this room, stand to your feet. Who's a person that's on your heart right now that you know you can give a better effort for? That you know you can give a better effort for bringing Christ to them? What's an attitude struggle that you have going on in your mind right now that affects the way that you hear from people, that affects the way that you receive and respond? If anything in this message spoke to you, I want to pray with you right now.